Thank you, instrumentalists and ensemble, for beautiful, meaningful worship this morning. Turn your Bibles to the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29. In the book of Daniel, even an angel asks the question, how long will it be? The angel is asking what we all want to know. When exactly is our day of deliverance? The question is not a new one. Throughout Scripture, God's people cry out asking, how long must we linger like this? Psalm 13, 1. The psalmist says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? The songbook, Psalms, comes from the soul, the impatient soul of God's people. These songs are sung together as they gather in worship. Throughout the Psalter, the songbook, the people sing, how, how long, O Lord? As we look at this songbook, we can see that God knows that waiting on him can be hard. Devotional writer John Bloom writes, he gives us permission to ask, how long is this going to last? Our present experience is an experience common to all believers who call upon his name. Common enough that the saints of old had songs to sing about it. And the prophets of old, Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, proclaimed it. In Jeremiah 29, we give attention to those in exile those who've been captured and kidnapped and taken away, deported from their homeland in Judah and carried away to Babylon. They are exiled geographically. They are displaced physically. But there is more to exile than geographical location. Exile, in fact, is not primarily a geographical phenomenon. It is a social, moral, and cultural phenomenon. It is the loss of a structured, reliable world which gives meaning and coherence to life. It is the loss of a structured and reliable world which gives meaning and coherence to life. It is the loss of a framework and a structure that has been treasured and trusted. The loss of a framework and structure that has been treasured and trusted. A person can find himself exiled without being geographically away from home. Perhaps this morning you feel exiled in your own living room. Perhaps this morning you feel like those Israelites of old felt. Perhaps you too feel like you're not where you need to be, that on a Sunday morning you're not in God's house, and therefore you feel like you're in a 
foreign land. Some of us this morning may, may feel like exiles because of social distancing. There's been a drastic change to our lives, like the drastic change that occurred to the lives of God's people. We too have all of a sudden been carried away to our foreign land, to a place where we have lost the rhythm of our lives. Perhaps we are imprisoned in Babylon in our own backyards. The normalcy of our lives has been ripped away, seemingly not to return. We fear things somehow will never be exactly as things have been before. Our exile this morning is emotional and spiritual. We too have had everything that we trusted and everything we have looked forward to suddenly snatched away. Chapter 29 is a letter carried by royal messengers. Perhaps it was a messenger dispatched just for the purpose of carrying this official letter. Or perhaps it's taken incidentally like a mailman carrying mail along the way of the journey. In fact, because Jeremiah and Zedekiah had so much interaction, carrying such letters between the two may have been routine business for any diplomatic courier. Jeremiah had received the word in Jerusalem. There were false prophets telling the Babylon exiles that circumstances would soon change, that they would be going home. Pack your bags was their message. God's going to release us back home. We're just visiting. We're just passing through Babylon. Get ready, they said. Your old world will return. The false prophets were full of words of assurance and hope and words of peace and words of comfort. There were words, however, that were absolutely false, that were absolutely a lie. The exiles were making no effort to adjust to their new surroundings. They were putting all their eggs in a false prophet's basket. They were counting on a false hope of returning to their own reality really soon. Jeremiah knew better. He knew they were going to be there for a while. He was disturbed by their unrealistic attitude, so he sends a letter. It's a letter about circumstances and situations that are absolutely beyond our control. I know you're weary. I know you're defeated. I know that you want to get back to the way that things were, but it's not going to happen today, Jeremiah says. And between now and then, I want you to go on with the business of living, not just surviving, but living. I want you to bloom right where you're planted. I want us to look at three words of Jeremiah to ancient Israel. The first word is face the facts. To the exiles then and the exiles today, to those who lament and despair over the way things used to be, how you want them to be, Jeremiah says, not coldly, but realistically, it's time to face the facts. Realize that relief is more than a day 
away. Look at verse 8 of Jeremiah 29. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. False prophets are throughout the book of Jeremiah in chapter 23 and chapter 27 and chapter 28 and here in chapter 29. They offer the seduction of religious fantasy. The threat to the Jews is that they will be, by these false prophets, talked out of the reality of their situation. Invited to deny the real place where now they must live their faith. No pretense of religious fantasy can extricate God's people from their actual place at the moment in history here. And they are singing the Babylonian blues. False prophets are trying to peddle a bill of goods. It wasn't a wicked message that they proclaimed. It was just a false message. Don't worry, it'll all be better tomorrow they were saying. Jeremiah says, get real. Don't believe it. Things won't change as quickly as you hope. You're going to be in captivity for a while. We may have to reevaluate our priorities after the virus has vanished. We may have to adjust our lifestyles and look past our portfolio to find inner peace. All that we have left is our faith in Christ and our family of faith, our church. Perhaps some of you this morning need to reevaluate your priorities and hear Jeremiah say, face the facts. These are difficult words from Jeremiah to the people in exile. They're hard for us to hear. And to accept. Everyone is suffering in the coronavirus catastrophe. The great Scottish preacher Alexander McLaren said, Be kind to everyone you meet, because everyone you meet is fighting a battle. Everybody in this has difficulties and challenges and disappointments. Everybody is a victim. To the virus in some ways. Here a family waits anxiously through a fever, hoping and praying the test will not return back positive. Minutes or hours and hours or days and days or years, and they wait. There, a girl of 23 calls the church to postpone her wedding. A lifetime of dreaming and months of planning, all meaningless in March because of a microbe. Planning for the nuptials has become no longer a joy, but a nightmare. 
Here a man ponders how long his company can keep paying his salary when the plague has made it difficult and not impossible to see future profits. There a cashier worries about her own health but she has no other way to make ends meet but to handle everyone's cash and stand inches away from coughing customers. Here, a healthcare worker sleeps in his own garage in a pup tent because he dare not enter his home with his children and carry the virus on him that he's been battling all day. There, a man of 82 years can no longer make the rhythmic routine of visiting the memory care unit where his wife resides with Alzheimer's. What was once their daily ritual is now impossible. His smile is the only thing she remembers. And now it too is gone. Here grandparents are restricted from the hospital robbed of peering through the nursery glass and proclaiming with pride. That one is our girl. There's a second word after face the facts. Flourish in the face of the facts. Look at verse 5. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become fathers and sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. And seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. Look at these commands, these imperative verbs, build, live, plant, eat. The key to the whole message of Jeremiah in this letter is that Judah must keep going through the exile. The Jews have no option. They're in Babylon for as long as they will be there, for as long as God has planned for them to be there. Seventy-two years ago, great Christian thinker C.S. Lewis wrote words that ring with some relevance for us today. And Perhaps you can substitute the word coronavirus where he writes the word atomic bomb. Lewis writes, in one way, we think a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. How do we live in an atomic age? 
I'm tempted to reply, why as you would live in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in the Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed as you're already living in the age of cancer, in the age of paralysis, or in the age of air raids, or in the age of motor accidents. In other words, Lewis says and writes, let us not begin exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, sir or madam, Lewis writes, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. This is the point to be made. It's the action of the call to pull ourselves together. If we're going to be destroyed by the atomic bomb, he writes, we might substitute coronavirus. Let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Pray, and I'll add, if even in our closet. Working, I'll add, perhaps from home. Preaching, if to an empty room and pews. Reading, listening to music. Bathing the children, walking the dog in the sunshine, and chatting with our friends on FaceTime. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs that they may break our bodies. And he says almost prophetically, a microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. Jeremiah offers the exiles a new attitude, a new perspective, how they should look at the situation before them. Perspective is absolutely everything, isn't it? Jeremiah says, despite your exile, put your, don't, don't put your life on hold, roll up your sleeves and get busy about the business of life as best you can. Bloom where you are planted. Nobody ever gets a perfect set of circumstances. While you're singing the Babylonian blues, be the presence of Christ. At First Baptist Church, already members are making medical masks to protect first responders and health care providers. Already boxes of food are being prepared to provide to those who need their next bill. Already Sunday school classes. This week we had a young adult Sunday school class calling senior adult members and asking, what can I get for you? How can I be the presence of Christ for you? Members caring for members. I called two members yesterday and both of them said their Sunday school class had already beaten the pastor to the punch. You're doing a good job taking care of each other. Our old world in some ways is gone and it's not all bad. Our priorities perhaps can be reshaped. Each of us has divine appointments, some planned and some spontaneous. Reminded the man who approached the pastor wanting to know why the church didn't do something about the hopeless fellow he just encountered. The man continued the conversation with the pastor by saying that he himself had stepped in to help. And the pastor replied, well, when you stepped in to help, the church did do something. 
You say you are the church. We study God's word and we teach you, we prepare you to go for those divine appointments and it's not all organized. It's happening, happening spontaneously in our midst, in our community. And when you are the hands and the feet of Christ, the church has just done church. While we're singing the Babylonian blues, get busy, Jeremiah says. Here's a third word, have faith in the face of the facts. Jeremiah is not a prophet of doom and gloom, verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when the 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you, and I will bring you back to this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I'll bring you back, he's saying. Listen to these words, call, come, pray. God is going to do a new thing. Yahweh is planning a homecoming. Yes, Daniel says it, and so does the psalmist. How long, O oh Lord? Jeremiah says, until then, get busy in Babylon. Be the presence of Christ by the divine appointments he brings your way. Place your worries in God's hand, for God is not surprised by anything that we endure. Be willing during this time to examine our displaced priorities, how wrong we have been, how we should see things new. Brad Johnson tweeted out, pro sports are suspended and not one person is asking athletes to justify their millions during the shutdown. Meanwhile, teachers with kids at home were expected to sit in front of a video chat room 14 hours a day teaching and taking attendance or people will lose their minds that they are getting paid. You see, I've discovered I can live without LeBron James, but the cashier at Walmart is now indispensable to me. Finally realize we are not in control, that God is a good anchor and Christ is our hope and church is his only place. Let us pray. Oh God, Give us your grace today and your hope today. Father, we pray for you to come and heal our land quickly, heal, heal our world quickly. Father, we're reminded that you are creator and we are simply creation, that you are in control and there's nothing we can do to take control of things. We are utterly and totally dependent upon your grace 
once again. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Dan is going to come and lead us as we see.